What do we do with those confusing highs and lows of these relationships? In today's episode, Lisa and I chat about these confusing highs and lows and how to assess if in your relationship it's good or bad. Hey, now you don't need to wait a week for your next podcast fix. Join Breaking Free with Carrie and Tara Substack and get an extra audio podcast exclusive to paid and free subscribers. To sign up, click the link in the show notes. Thank you for joining us on Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse. I'm Dr. Carrie Kerr McAvoy, a mental health specialist with over 20 years of counseling experience. And I'm Tara Blair Ball, a certified relationship coach. This is a listener-supported podcast. Please consider becoming a supporter of the show for less than a cup of coffee. So joining us today is our special guest, Lisa Sunny. We're going to be talking about trying to assess whether it's a good or a bad relationship, which is really important for a lot of us if we're beginning a new relationship or if we're in a relationship and we're like, I'm not sure if this is normal or not. I know for me, when I was in my extremely toxic relationship, that was a thought that really plagued me in the beginning. I knew things were happening that I wasn't It didn't seem right, but it didn't seem wrong necessarily. And it didn't matter what I read or looked up or asked my friends about. I just still felt really confused about is this normal or not, especially because it wasn't always bad. There were those moments where it felt good and comforting. But then there was these fights that were extremely awful. And I felt like, oh, because we had these good moments, it can't be a super bad relationship. I think one of the most difficult things about these relationships is that they're not always bad. The number one thing that I hear from my clients is, but he's not always bad. They're not always mean. We have so much good. Like they're trying to convince me of how good the relationship can be. And I always refer them to look visually at the cycle of an abusive relationship and point out that it includes kindness. It has to include kindness. So I understand that the relationship is such that it doesn't always have only abuse nonstop, but that there will always be times where they're kind. And that is what creates the confusion because you start to see them as good and bad, or you start to associate the kindness with the abuse with love even. It's challenging, but we take this idea of relationships aren't all sunshine and puppies, right? They're not all good. Every relationship has its arguments, but that's what makes us think like, oh, this is just an argument. but it might be abuse. So really, it comes down to how do you tell the difference between abuse and normal arguments? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you heard this a lot, too, that all relationships take work and it's always tough. I I remember I was getting my eyes checked at the optometrist and the optometrist noticed that my last name had changed. And he asked me, oh, you know, you you got married. How's it going? And I, I must have had this awful look on my face. Because he turned to me, like put his hand on the desk and said, the first year is always hard. That was one of those moments where I was like, I had said, oh, it's going great. But clearly my face did not kind of convey that it had been going yeah. great because it hadn't. But we hear that kind of stuff of like all relationships take work or the first year is always hard. And I think we can latch onto that, or at least I latched onto that as, okay, this is normal. Because it is hard. What I think that advice ignores is the fact that it should be getting better, better consistently, that the fights are less bad or you go more time without the fights and that the fights should stop or never have abuse in them. And that was something I just didn't quite understand. I would look at, for example, when my ex and I were in couples, the fights did become less and less. But when we had them, 
it was like, I mean, it was like World War Three. That's how it felt. The fights were so much worse, even though, yes, that they were less, but it was so much worse. And it would take months for me to get over the issues that had been brought up and how much I would be telling myself of, oh, he thinks this about you. And that's because it means this. I focus so much on the present versus the overall context of the relationship. And when I'm working with clients, that's what we talk a lot about is the overall context. So the overall relationship, is it good or bad? And we have to weight things differently. You know, like when I'm working with a client, we wait. Yeah, it's really great that your partner brings you coffee every day. But if they bring you coffee every day and then call you a bitch, those do not equal one another. That's not an equaling out. Like not even abuse close. has right. Abuse <laughs> has to be weighted so much more than the little or small or ephemeral acts of kindness. And that's really how we have to look at the overall relationship. Overall, in your relationship, you should feel good and safe and supported and loved. Overall, the thing about abuse is when it does happen, all of that is taken away. There's no safety. There's no love. There's no support. And to come back from that is like climbing up such a big hill. And for us, if we're in a relationship with an abuser where there is extreme power and control, we're not ever going to be able to climb that hill because the next abusive moment is going to happen. It's inevitable. You you almost can't avoid right. it. Well, certainly in the abusive relationships, you can't avoid that next moment of abuse. I see that a lot where people say sometimes he's really bad and sometimes they're really good. It fluctuates. It depends. They blame themselves. I see a lot of that. Like mm-hmm. sometimes I... I know that in the mornings, it's not a good time to talk to him, but I went and brought something up. But ultimately, I'll then ask to take your point of, let's look at this more broadly. When is a good time? And we start to unpack, Mm -hmm. oh, it seems that there is never a good time. I see the grooming or the effects of the grooming where we start to say, you know, things have been really good lately. And I see that a lot. And I say, tell me about the good. Let's talk about that. And actually, it's an absence of overt abuse. So he's just not Mm -hmm. screaming at you right now. And you're like, oh, this is a great thing. We're in a good time. But this is still part of that toxic highs and lows. And truly, can a relationship be one with confusing highs and lows and be a healthy relationship where you just fight sometimes? No. Yes, relationships have ups and downs, but not confusing highs and lows, not extremes where you're bawling your eyes out or being called a bitch and having a coffee made for you. And I think also if you look at the simplicity of making a coffee for someone Mm. versus being called that, that's a a vast extreme. So that's not just a high and a low. I wouldn't describe a coffee as a high, but when you're, you're in an abusive relationship, it can feel like, but he does all these great things. Is that really the case? Probably not. Not if it's just coffee. Yeah. We shouldn't be functioning in extremes in a healthy relationship. Mm -hmm. I'm in a healthy relationship. Like we've had goods, but they weren't so, so amazing, whatever, because of what it's being compared to of the super, super lows. Like when my husband and I have disagreements, they're just disagreements. Like we're not screaming at each other. We're not name calling. We're not doing any of those things. It's not, it's not great. I mean, who loves conflict, but it's not like, like you described, bawling for days, horribly depressed, horribly upset, feeling like you need to call therapist's office all the time. Not that we can't have moments like that in a healthy relationship, but it shouldn't be something that continually happens where you feel euphoric and then you are in the pit. 
it shouldn't be those kinds of extremes. It should be just sort of like hills, not extreme mountains and really low valleys. Yeah. But it does feel like that. It, I, I know in my own relationship, to say that it was a roller coaster, like the worst kind of mm-hmm. Six Flags roller coaster that you're too scared to even go on. And yet here we are in these relationships sometimes. But I remember in the highs feeling like, this is what I'm here for. This is amazing. This is the best feeling I've ever had. And when it would be down, I would be so depressed and sad and anxious. And in order to get back to the top of that mountain, I would have to sacrifice who I am and everything that matters to me. I would have to forget the way that he treated me. I would have to just sweep all of the things that he said under the rug. Otherwise, I was bringing up old shit and always harping on the past or picking fights when I was trying to actually just process what has happened with us. I was always dismissed. And I see that pattern so much in these relationships, but it really just, again, puts you in that cycle. When you're in the low, you are so desperate for that high that you'll do anything to get back there. Having to step back and actually look at the relationship, if you could graph it or something, you know, visually, mm-hmm. you would see how extreme the feelings are. So it's not normal, but the world around us tells us it's normal. Everybody's like this. Did you hear that a mm-hmm. lot? Everybody's like this? Yeah. Or I heard things like I described earlier, like it all takes work or, you know, you'll get through it or the first year is always tough. Like there's this implication that, oh, yeah, like this is normal and you'll get through it like everybody does. But what was my normal was not fucking normal. Like it is not normal to be screamed at, doors slammed, walls punched. That is not normal. And that just unfortunately escalated throughout the years to more physical abuse, more verbal abuse. And where it started was not was not there. You know, we hear a lot of comments like this. Of like, why did you pick him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why did you pick him? You know, Nothing well, he was wonderful more. for, right. <laughs> he was wonderful for a while. And then when the relationship became really serious and we got engaged, that's when he bowed up on me and stopped allowing me to exit during arguments and the belittling and the criticism and the demeaning, the name calling, all of that just started to come out. And I remember it being so awful at that time. I wish I could have, if I was to go back and talk to myself at that point, I I would have probably pointed out like, hey, this is probably going to get worse instead of better. And I think that's what a lot of us confuse in these unhealthy relationships, too, is we we see it as a problem. We're going to go try to fix the problem and then it'll get better. And that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. In a healthy relationship, your partner is going to really take a look at their behavior, make some changes. You are going to make changes in the relationship as well. And you're going to see improvement. I never saw improvement in that relationship. I just didn't. I have to admit, I told myself that I saw improvement. Because sometimes there was less arguing. But when I now looking back, what caused the less arguing was me. My compliance, my submission is kind of the only thing that really led to that. So I would wake up and think, okay, I have an issue. Last night I was upset. I could tell that it wasn't a good time. Today's not a good time because he's got this thing. So maybe on Saturday, if things are right in the afternoon, maybe I could bring it up. Then, oh, he's going to work. So I don't know. There was never the right time. But these are the eggshells. And again, Is this a pattern where there's never the good time to bring things up, where there's always going to be some kind of problem? You can't problem solve. And to your point, you can have a relationship with disagreements. That's normal. But what kind of disagreements? Are you 
fighting? Are you arguing? Are you name calling and then getting over it sort of? Or are you having a discussion and a disagreement and you feel heard and your spouse feels heard and then you come to some middle ground or there's some level of compromise? But I find that in an abusive relationship, you are not just compromising, you're compromising yourself. And that's a challenge. I think that we, we really do lose ourselves. And that makes it hard to step back and see the overall pattern of the toxic highs and those really toxic lows because we just fluff it all into the same category of we're all experiencing this. I would speak to some of my friends who are in long-term relationships too. And I remember telling them a story once and I said something about like, oh, and then he called me a bitch. And they all just stared at me in shock. The point of my story wasn't that he called me a bitch. That was just something I was kind of referencing in passing. But they all stopped and said, like, my partner doesn't do that. And I looked at all of them and I thought, four of them. And I thought, well, that must be nice to not have that. But most people do get called names. So you're an anomaly. All four of you, you're the anomaly, not me, not my relationship. My relationship is normal. But you can step back, of course, and look at where does that come from? Why does name calling feel normal? Start unpacking all that trauma from your childhood. But ultimately, does it feel good to be called names? No. Yeah. We rationalize it, though. So you talked about earlier the you realized that you were compliant and that's how mm -hmm. the disagreements stopped. So how might someone, because I, I know this happened for myself, that I thought I was compromising and really I was just being compliant. Mm -hmm. So how might someone maybe try to figure out whether it's compromise or compliance? I think that people can kind of look at your position as, let's say, A, his or her position as B. And Obviously, there's a middle point and people think that compromise might be that you meet in the middle. But the truth is, and there's a million examples, not everything can be met in the middle. So are you ever feeling like you've walked away being heard or like you've won the argument because it's not about winning? But do you always feel like you're losing in every opportunity for there to be conflict or a discussion or something you might not agree on? Do you feel like you're the one sacrificing or compromising? Do you feel like they're always winning, getting their way, or the result is in their favor and not in yours. Because that is is huge. You know, we, we compromised and we landed on his viewpoint or his opinion. Then is that compromise? Of course not. But I do know that certain abusers and especially narcissists, they really have that ability to convince you that maybe it was your idea or this is a compromise or yeah, I got my way this time, but you got it the last five times, even though you absolutely didn't. So sometimes writing it down or just being able to take a step back. Think of the last five to 10 conflicts you had. What was the result? How did you feel at the end of each conflict? Do you feel like you are a significant member of this relationship? Are you part of it? Are you being heard? And I think that what I see usually is the answer is no. So what does that mm -hmm. say, right? That's something people really need to reflect on. If you feel like you're constantly losing who are you? Are you also losing yourself? Are you compromising to the degree that you're complying with them to avoid the arguments? Or do you feel afraid that if you don't compromise, that there's going to be some kind of retaliation or punishment or consequence? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Go to getthetea.com. They're my new sponsor. You're worth it. Their life change tea helps with gently cleansing your body every day. They have four kinds of tea, natural, peppermint, pomegranate, and plus sana. 
They also carry unique supplements that you won't find on a shelf at the store. Their newest supplement is Calm Tummy. They have pure cordyceps, cardiovascular support, healthy blood sugar support, as well as sea vegetables. Each one of their supplements is carefully designed to help you regulate your health. Go to GetTheTea.com today and see what you can find to better your life. That's GetTheTea.com. Enter code BREAKFREE for an extra 10% off your order. Don't take your health for granted. That's GetTheTea.com. Code BREAKFREE. I think that's a really good actionable exercise that you suggested. I think the biggest difference that I see between healthy fighting and unhealthy fighting is my experience validated. Does my partner hear me? Do they listen? Do they not minimize, justify, ignore, rationalize their unhealthy behavior? And that's the biggest difference is that when my husband and I have disagreements where I may point out something I didn't like about what was said or done during the disagreement, like he he hears me. He's not making excuses. He's not projecting or blaming me for whatever the behavior or what he said was. It's very much I'm allowed to have my own experience. And that's the biggest difference for me is my experience was never okay just as it was. It was always somehow brought back to me, circled back to me. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. And I would leave so confused because that was the gaslighting that was into play, that I would leave so confused and always feel that I was somehow more responsible than 50% for whatever argument happened. And in a healthy relationship, it should not always be like that. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it should never be like that in a healthy relationship. Your partner should be able to hear your experience and not have those reactions to it. And it's Mm -hmm. not to say that some people might not intentionally They may unintentionally gaslight. I see that often in couples where they just don't necessarily know that they're gaslighting. But once you become aware of that and have learned tools and skills for dealing with that, it's a totally different experience. I have ADHD, for example. And so I realized that I was unintentionally gaslighting my partner because I have a poor short-term working memory. So he would say that I said something and I would immediately go to, oh, I didn't say that. And he Mm -hmm. was like, well, you sent it to me in a text message. Here's literal proof that you sent this to me. And and I'd be like, I I would then have to own it. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I just did not remember that I said that. But if I'm going to start to focus on those details and those facts and really try to disprove his experience, which was clearly accurate. Yep. (laughs) That's me gaslighting. But again, Am I an abuser? No. Am I intentionally trying to have power and control over him or another person? No. But if I'm going to focus on that aspect of it, I would be. I would be trying to invalidate his experience. And that's not okay in a healthy relationship. No. But what a good example of the ability that people possess to be self-reflective and to consider how their actions are affecting their partner. But that's something that you won't see in a really toxic or abusive relationship, certainly with a narcissist, that they're not going to look at how they are contributing. So you could show a text message and say, you said it right here in this message. No, I didn't. You doctored that or flip it even worse into, oh my God, now you're pulling out text messages. You're crazy. What's wrong with you? (laughs) And divert you away from from the actual evidence, which is really the point, right? But that's what abusers do. They use manipulation to keep you hooked in this relationship, and they use tactics to keep you compliant and to keep you not really able to see kind of from a bird's eye view that this is a pattern. 
that this relationship is toxic through and through because those good times, they keep you so hooked. I talked recently about this intermittent positive reinforcement that is very much an abuse tactic and how it being intermittent specifically, that schedule is so addictive. Because if you knew that he was going to be a jerk every Friday, you could kind of avoid it, plan for it, pre- you know, prepare right. to, to walk through that storm. Or if it was even just once a week, but you never know. It could be once a week, twice a week, five times a week. It could be nothing for six straight weeks and then a horrible two weeks. It's all over the place. It creates this addiction, but it also creates this story in you that it's good and bad. And when you're in the good, you forget how bad it was. And even like I said earlier, sometimes it's just the absence of abuse. I think that's really key. I see a lot of people that lands with a lot of people like, wait a minute, is it good or is he not screaming at me right now? Is it actually good or is this just not particularly terrible? Or you see people talk about he or she used to be screaming at me and name calling or hitting me and now they're not. Now it's better. But you're just describing what you're trying to rationalize as less abuse or less painful or less horrible abuse. But abuse is abuse. I don't think we should categorize it so separately that you start to miss the point that it's abuse. You have to step back, look broadly. doesn't matter if they stop cheating on you, but still call you names. That's still abuse, but it's hard. And I think the metaphor that you used earlier of the roller coaster is really valuable and important because when we're on a roller coaster, we're so in the present moment and it's hard to think ahead of what's coming next. Like you see a big turn is coming. So that's that's still very short-term thinking. Like you're looking at just the next turn, the turns two from now. Mm-hmm. And when we're in these extremely unhealthy relationships, I think it's so hard to see beyond the present. And that aspect of these unhealthy, toxic, abusive, narcissistic relationship means that we're stuck in being unable to think of the overall pattern, the context of the relationship, because we're so wrapped up in the present and I think that's the biggest thing that we can offer as really as a self-help tip is looking at the overall context of the relationship. Like you mentioned earlier, like graphing out the relationship or even writing down the good versus the bad of the relationship and putting some weight on them. Like if there is abuse, that really eradicates everything on the good list. And we have to see it that way. Like, I I don't know if you view it that harshly, but I do. do. Like, I honestly do not believe that abuse and love can exist in the same relationship. As soon as my partner starts starts abusing me, the love has been removed from that relationship. And I would have never said that while I was in that relationship. I would have said, oh, yes, he's abusive, but he had a bad childhood, but he loves me, you know? I know he's abusive, but he loves me. Yeah. Right, right. And I know he loves me because he says it, or sometimes he's really nice. But out of that relationship, I know for a fact that my husband loves me today because he would absolutely never be abusive towards me. Yeah. And that's the biggest difference today. It absolutely, I totally agree with you. I'm in a healthy relationship now, and I know that. That's the, you know, on our worst day, if we got into a horrible argument about whatever, there would be no name calling, there would be no screaming, there would be no blocking my exit, there would be no physical abuse. Meanwhile, that was acceptable in that relationship. I thought that love and abuse could coexist. And I hear people say, listen, I know that he's abusive. I know that I'm in a trauma bond, but I love him and he loves me. He's my best friend. And I think, man, 
with friends like that, who needs enemies? That's horrible to be in that situation. But I also understand the cognitive dissonance and all the other complicated feelings that lead us down that path, particularly society telling you that this is all normal, you know? Especially when we downplay, right? If I think if we tell people that we're being physically right. abused, maybe it's more obvious then, but when it's not, and so often it's emotional abuse, psychological abuse, or belittling, it's harder to spot and it's excused more from society. So it blinds us to really see that. So being able to take that step back and look at the overall. But I will say something that Carrie taught me it was during a conversation that she and I were having about how I hear so often, listen, it's 80% good, 60% good, 90% good. And Carrie made a video based on this conversation we had holding a a water and used a can of Coke and joked like, let's say this was sewer water. If I just sprinkle in 10% of sewer water into your water, do you want to take a sip? So Mm -hmm. that's a good way to look at it too, is to really step back and see, sure, You can weight it at 10% abuse and 90% wonderful. I would doubt that that's actually a true weight, but let's pretend that it's true. 10% abuse is 10% too much abuse. So how do we see 0% as the only acceptable number? Very hard when you feel like you love the person and when you are in an active trauma bond. And I think the point that you brought up too, when you were mentioning what somebody said of like, "I, I love him, he's my best friend. I often have to help clients look at how do you show love for your friends, your family members, partner? Mm -hmm. Do you show love in the same way that they do? And then there's often always an excuse. Well, he had a bad childhood or he doesn't know better or whatever. And I go, well, you and I know each other relatively well. I know you had a pretty bad childhood. It doesn't sound like you're going around and punching walls, screaming at your friends, your family, Hmm. your loved ones. Why do they get a pass? but you aren't doing that same behavior. And I think that's really important for us to look at because at least for me, I gave so many excuses for the behavior because I didn't want to recognize it for as bad as it was. Uh, I didn't want to- The excuses. I just, mm-hmm. yeah, I just didn't want to, you know? Yeah. But I think that self-help tip of looking at the overall relationship and good versus bad and thinking of the sewer water metaphor, I think is awesome too. I, I think that's the most valuable- exercise that we can suggest for anyone in this spot. In these abusive relationships, we are groomed to not share what's really happening. Talk to people and listen to your friends when they're looking at you completely shocked at the way that you're describing your spouse treating you. You're not the anomaly. The relationship's not going to change. You change. You learn how to leave. And that's what the change will be. Thank you for joining us today. Have a question or comment? Email us at hello at breakingfreewithcarrieandtara.com. If this episode has been helpful, consider becoming a supporter. And if you haven't yet, make sure to follow us at Breaking Free from Narc Abuse on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. We'll see you back here next time.